Um, while, I've, while I've been away, the guys have been preaching a sermon from uh, John 1, 2, and 3 called Walking in the Light. How many of you have enjoyed it? How many of you have been blessed off your socks? Well, I tell you, I haven't because I never heard one of them yet. I was away, but I, I'm looking forward to being blessed as I catch up with what the guys are preaching here. And um, so based on walking in the light, I was thinking about that in this trip, and I felt God give me a challenge to myself and a challenge to the church um, today um, to share. And walking in the light, Jesus simply tells us this in, in Matthew five fourteen to 16. This is a very simple message, but I hope it challenges all of us. It says, um, Jesus says here, speaking to you, you are the light of the world. This is a dark place, but we are the light. And you know the amazing thing about light? Darkness flees when light comes. When you go into a dark room and you switch off a light, on a light, there's no argument. This is not a, a battle between two equal forces of good and evil. The enemy is defeated. Yes, he, he still has some time left on this earth. And often he wants to remind us of our past, but it's about time we started reminding him of his future, which does not look too good to me. And, but we are a light. And, and he says, people do not hide a lamp or put it under a bowl. That is, we don't hide who we are. We shouldn't be hiding, cowering away uh, uh, with who we are. Even in this world, we are the light. We are the only hope. It's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. And we are that light. Instead, they put it on a stand. Do we display who we are to this amazing world? And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. And then it says how? That they might see your good deeds... And glorify the Father in heaven. You see, what gives credibility to who we are as Christians, people with Christ in us, is not so much what we say, but what we do. In St. Francis of Assisi, you'll get bored of this because you'll hear this often because it impacted me, where he said, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds. And he said this, our, let, us, let our deeds speak louder than our words. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. You see, all of us can be alike. There's no excuse for any single one of us, and that's what I'm going to speak about. We don't even know, need to know much about the Bible. We could be saved one day and be a light to others. You see, this is how it works in the kingdom. You sow a seed, somebody else comes and waters it, but God makes it grow. And your good deeds and mine create an atmosphere that softens hearts towards God. And you might not know how to lead them to Christ, but you can say, listen, I know some crazy dude in this church that uh, um, is in a gymnasium somewhere, and I'll bring him to you. I love leading people to Christ. I come alive when that happens, because that's what it's all about. Amen? Amen. Amen. And it goes on, the Apostle Paul equates this, walking in the light, 
in a different way. And I want to focus on that, although we've been focusing on John. And he calls it living a life worthy. What he means there is representing the king well. You see, when my travels, and people I meet on airplanes and all of that, I, um, I like to travel incognito. I don't wear a, a flowing robe and a dog collar. I sit there and I just chill and sit next to the next person. And I ask, hey, we talk about anything. Then I ask him, what do you do? Oh, I'm this. And what are you? Well, actually, I'm a pastor of a church. What? Changes the language, changes the conversation. <laughs> As if I'm more holy outside of Christ than them. And... Um, But in these conversations, I find more often that people are not, when you get to the core of the issue, are not upset with Jesus. When you tell them what Jesus did for them, unconditional love and all of that, their reflection of Jesus is the church, his body. And they have a right to believe that. We're going to look see that in Scripture. You see, our conduct... As ambassadors of Christ, and we'll look at that, has eternal consequences. Our conduct has eternal consequences. And we see this. Paul speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy. He's just been released from jail in Rome, and he's writing to Timothy. He was in Ephesus who had left Timothy there to lead that church. And he's just been released from those two years. He was then um, out for another two years or so and then jailed and martyred for his faith. But in between that time, he is wanting to go and see how Timothy is doing. This young man, some people say is 19 or 20 years old when he was leading this great church. And Paul is writing to his son in the faith. It's a very personal letter, but he challenges him on his lifestyle and so on. And he writes this, his true son, he says this in, in 1 Timothy three fourteen to 15, I hope to come to you soon. I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is not just a meeting of people, not just a building, but it's the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of church. Watch our conduct. He then goes on to write this further down in 1 Timothy 4, uh, 12 to 15. You'll see the consequence of not doing this. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Young people, rise up now. Don't wait till you're old like me and you need three naps a day or something. Rise up now. Don't let look any, don't, not in arrogance and in pride, but God has called you. And God has a call on your life, and you've got to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of you for. I cannot do it and nobody else. But what has Christ taken hold of you for today? And he says this, but set an example, young people and old people, for believers, first of all, and then for the world, in speech. Be careful what you say, little tongue, little tongue. There's life and death in this. And more churches are split by speech than anything else. 
More division comes by. So watch your speech. Watch your life. Be an example in your lifestyle. In love, in faith. And dare I say, this word that now has become a dirty word in many places, impurity. Be an example. People are watching. When you say, I am a person who Christ lives in, a Christian, they have, a, they have their eyes on you because they're wanting to see, well, what does this Christ look like to them? It says, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. I love that last part, preaching and teaching. And I tell you what, I had a big breakfast, so I'm not worried about burgers too early. So <laughs> pray that I'm hungry before the. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid hands on thee. Be diligent in these matters. This is his son in the faith. He is speaking. We know in the next book of Timothy, he's calling for Timothy, and he says, watch your life and doctrine closely, because if you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. And he says this here too, watch your life and doctrine, persevere in them. For if you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. And from prison in Rome, Paul speaks of this to these three amazing churches that he planted. He's sitting in jail in Rome, and he writes four letters to the church in Ephesus, Colossae, and to Philippi. And then he also writes another one, to a man named Philemon, the, the prison epistles or letters. And he in jail writes this in Ephesians 4, 1 and 3, as a prisoner of the Lord, he's in jail, I then urge you, church of Ephesus, to live a life call, worthy of the calling you have received. How do you do that, church? This is how we do it, by being completely humble by being gentle, by being patient, by bearing one another in love, by making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Church, where there's unity, there's the commanded blessing of God on a people. But unity takes effort. We counsel uh, young people to get, get married, and you tell them stuff, you actually should do the counseling a year after they're married because they don't believe a word. We'll never fight. We'll never argue. We just love each other. So I said, okay, well, let's marry you. Come back in a year's time. We'll sort you out. Um, but unity takes effort just with two people. Toilet seat up, toilet seat down. Toothbrush lit on. Little things like that. Snoring. All of those things. And it takes effort. It takes long suffering sometimes. (laughs) No, Deborah's not the one that snores. How much more than you get kids? Different opinions, different gifting, different anointing. How much more effort does it take for a couple of hundred people? It means we cannot always have it our own way. 
It means that we live for the benefit of others above ourselves. It means that we humble ourselves for the sake of the kingdom. It takes effort, church. It takes every effort. Many of Paul's writings were, in fact, even in this book of Philippians, there was this issue of two women not getting on and bringing division in the church. And he had to deal with that in Philippians 4. To the church in Colossae, he writes this. Verse 10 and 11. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy. You see, it's a theme that's running through all these three books of the Lord. And please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And from the same cell again, he writes to the church in Philippi, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Three churches, the same thing. Worthy of the calling, worthy of the Lord, and worthy of the gospel. So what does this look like? How do we do this? I I believe if we could live out these four verses, just these, and we should live out more than that, But if we could meditate, and this could be our heart as a people, it's an amazing thing that in Psalm 133, God equates unity with commanded blessing. We are all praying for blessing on my life, blessing on this. I tell you the biggest blessing we can give God is unity. And I think of Psalm 133, and we, our kids come over for Christmas, and we've got the table and Deborah's done an amazing job, and I've done an amazing job eating what she's done. And um, we're all there, and they're all sitting at the table. And I like to just step back from that, just sit in the chair and watch them laughing and having fun together. And I can imagine what it feels like to God when his family are walking in unity. Because he tells us in Psalm 133, I believe it's a, it's a psalm where God is speaking to God. The triune God in perfect unity looking at us, his children. And he says, behold how good and pleasant it is. It's nothing better to a parent or family when there's unity in the home. There's nothing more rich when your children are getting on with each other and loving each other. Behold our good. I can see our Father God looking at Jesus and the Holy Spirit and saying, isn't this so good? And he says, it's like the oil running down Aaron's beard. We are the priesthood of all believers. The oil is the anointing of God, the spirit, the presence of God that comes down when we do that. And, and he says that at the end of that, for where there is unity, God commands his blessing. And that word command is in the King James, and others say um, bestowed. But it is actually the Hebrew word is translated command. And when you look at Genesis chapter 1, and God said the universe, it's a different word. And so with God's spoken word, the universe was built, was, was formed. With his commanded blessing, how much more? 
When God commands something, if he spoke something and that happened, and he wants his commanded blessing to be on his people. And do you know what the ultimate of commanded blessing is in Psalm 133? Life forevermore. Eternal life is the blessing of blessings. It's not more stuff. It's being a people in unity and in love together that draws people in, that want to come to a place where they can get, not judged, but where they can receive refuge and where they can learn about this God that loves them so much regardless of their past. And it says this, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you who are born again, if you have any encouragement from the fact that you are saved and you have an eternal destiny, if any comfort from his love, how much does he love you? He laid down his life. It's going to lead into that after this, and we won't get to that way. It talks about Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Paul and Jelson, then let make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded. Walking in unity, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. And how do we do that? He goes on to say this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. We need to search our hearts. Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 51. David prayed this, and he was a man, the only man in Scripture that God said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He said, search my heart, God. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Lord, search our hearts so we can deal with these things. Not selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider other better than yourselves. Each one should, and here is, not only look after your own interests, What can you do for me, Jesus? What can the church do for me, Jesus? Bless me, Jesus. All good questions in a way. But God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, this one thing, Abraham, I will bless you. And you're going to read how blessed Abraham was. So that you will be a blessing. God wants to bless us with stuff and with with, uh, his presence, with his anointing, not for us, but so that we can bless others. Interesting, just as I'm thinking of this, in in Israel, we know that Jesus ministered around, mainly around the Sea of Galilee, full of fish and all of that wonderful thing. The Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, flows out the Sea of Galilee, and into the Dead Sea. What is the difference between those two seas? The same source. One giving life and one bringing death. Even called the Dead Sea. One has an outlet and one just has an inlet. And if you didn't have an outlet in your body, you'd be in trouble. Just say. We'd all be in trouble if you didn't. It's the same. For the body of Christ. I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want to give you stuff. I want to do all of that so that you can bless others. So you can take them along the ride with you. So your stuff is their stuff. 
I tell you, I'm really humbled. One of my best friends ever is a Lebanese guy. I mean, <laughs> I just love this guy. And when I go to South, when I've been back to South Africa to minister there, is an in the same church as this on eldership there and so on. I absolutely miss this guy. There's two guys outside of missing all of you. Both of them are in different places. But Terry, he said, Mike, whenever you come here, don't you ever stay anywhere else and don't you ever hire a car or do anything. So we went there the, the first time we did that and He's giving me his car, and he's trying to find rides and, and all of that kind of stuff. So the next time we went, I rented a car. And so we're at the church that Sunday. He said, how did you get here? I said, I rented a car. He started crying. He said, Mike, I told you. I told you. I said, Terry, man, I don't want to put you out. He says, Mike, it's not my car. It's not my car. So he made me go back to the, with him. <laughs> And give back my nice air-conditioned car (laughs) for his car. (laughs) But I'll never forget that. He literally, it wasn't. He started crying. May I have that heart too, Lord. Galatians says this, 6, carry each other's burdens, and so you may fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? We know the Ten Commandments. But a man asked Jesus, a teacher of the law in Luke 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. He wants to trick Jesus. And he asks him this question, what is the greatest commandment? And we won't go into the Good Samaritan. It's a great story, Luke 10. It says, love you, Lord. Jesus answered, love, this is the law of Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. That's what Christ commands us to do. You see, there's a greater law than the Ten Commandments, and it's the law of love that Jesus fulfilled on the cross, where he extended grace to us, not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what he did on our behalf. He extended grace to us. And he said this, if you love me, you will obey me. And in that, we have taken this, to prove that I, I love God, I've got to obey him. And I try and try, and I'm going to pray more, I'm going to do more, I'm going to do this. Well, how many of you know, you've got your list there, like the Ten Commandments in half a day, they're all broken. And we feel bad. What Jesus is saying is, love me, and you will want to obey me, because we serve what we love. If we love somebody, we want to give our lives to them. If we love God, we want to give our lives to them. He says, stop trying to deal with your stuff. I'll deal with that. Just fall in love with me. Fall in love with me. And then you will love your neighbor because you'll understand my love. But when our love tanks are empty, we get into trouble. And he says, by this love for one another... By this love, John 13, 34, 35, 
As I love a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so must you love one another. By this, underline, not by the good preaching, not by the worship, not by the beautiful gymnasiums we, or cathedrals we, we meet in, not by the trappings will people know that we are his disciples. It's by this that we love one another as he loved us. And we cannot do that outside of Christ, church. Don't even try. You see, the sobering thing is, as Christ's body, we either represent Christ or misrepresent him. It's as simple as that. And I'm not preaching to you. I've got all these fingers pointing back at me. So these are important things that we represent him well. And we see this in Corinthians 5, and we nearly finished this. I just want to read a little bit from Matthew 25, which is a bit longer. But yeah, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, church. Don't live in your past. God has no interest in your past. It's your future that he has an interest in. And the enemy will bring condemnation. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. God is not interested. He separated our sins from the east as far as the east is from the west. And he says in his sovereignty, I choose to remember them no more. Not that he's got a forgetful mind. It is paid for by Jesus Christ. It is finished, paid in full. And we come through the curtain and we come holy and righteous and we walk before the throne room of God, not on a righteousness that comes from us, but through Jesus Christ. And we got to get over ourselves. We are not as important as we think we are. And when we think, church, that my past is going to disqualify, I tell you, your past qualifies you because you laid it down at the foot of the cross and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen. Now I'm preaching like in New Zealand. It's anointing there, Mary anointing. Oh, those Marys are wonderful people. And so we have a future in Christ. Our past is paid for. And Jesus actually says, there's no excuse, and we're going to look at that, for you living in your past. He says, all this is from God, who reconciled us himself through Christ Jesus, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against us. Amen! Amen. Not Counting men's sins against us. Amen. There we are. And he has given us this ministry. We are therefore, listen to this, Christ's ambassadors. It's as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Matthew 24, 25, just before Jesus is going to be crucified, he's having this conversation 
with his disciples. And Matthew 24 deals with some of the signs of the end of time. Interesting in Matthew 24, the biggest sign is not wars, rumors, and wars. He mentions it. The biggest sign of the end, end times is deception in the body of Christ. He mentions that three or four times. And he said, if the times weren't cut short, we would all be deceived, even the elect. This is the word of God. The word of God, we either believe the word of God or we can believe culture. We cannot do both. And if it's culture that makes the word of God relevant, then culture has final authority and not the word of God. That's the bottom line. What it says, it says. God knew the times. God knew everything that was going on that we're dealing with. And he said, don't be deceived. For a time will come when men will not put up with sound preaching or teaching, but to suit the itching ears will gather around them a great number of teachers to tell them what they want to hear. And we are in itching ear times. And we're going to stand for the truth in this church. Are we narrow-minded? Yes, as narrow as this book. The problem is when we don't speak the truth in love. That's the problem. That's where we go wrong. But we've got to speak the truth in love, understanding word, not for his love, mercy, and grace. We would be destroyed. And so Jesus says this. He has three stories in Matthew 25. Good bedtime reading. <laughs> to me, it's more good knee time reading. The virgins who ran out of oil. The people that were given talents that never used them. And the sheep and the goats. One chapter. So I'm going to read the, about the sheep and the goats because this to me is a sober assembly for me. You see, I love Love Your City. I love coming together for church. I love all of those things, but these are events. These are when we gather to encourage each other and be taught and preached. These are not working out our Christian Walk, because we came to church, because we were in the worship team, doesn't mean we are walking out our Christian. No, it means we've come to be encouraged together. And one of my fears is when we do big events like Love Your City, and we started it 20, 19 years ago, down in that with 5 or 10 or 20 people, we started Love Your City, and it's grown. And one of the biggest issues for me is that becomes our evangelistic deal for the year. We've done that. And Sunday's become our church thing for the week. And prayer meetings become our prayer thing for the week. We've got to build a culture of evangelism. We've got to build, build a culture of prayer. We've got to build a culture which we celebrate with those big events, and we celebrate on a Sunday, but this is not church. We are the church. We come together as the church, and we leave here as the church. And that's where we come, and we come, this is like the huddle in the midst of a game. 
The guys come together, the poor Canucks, and they beat them this way and that way. Praise God they get better. Please, God. But we're in the bleachers. Ah, oh, those guys have not. Do you know what? I've caught myself complaining and um, criticizing the Canucks, and as a South African who never saw snow, I can't even skate. <laughs> and I have the audacity to look at the Sedins and tell them what they're doing wrong. Sounds like church sometimes. <laughs> Sitting in the bleachers. Those guys could have done a better job. I'm going to find another place. I'm going to find another team. Maybe the oil is now because they're on, up and coming. No. We are all on the ice. We're all in the game. And we come together and we encourage one another. You bring your little bit. I bring my little bit. We come full of the Holy Spirit and this river begins to flow together. We don't come flat every week. And sometimes we are flat, but the majority should carry the minority. Say, how can I serve you? How can I serve the the body of Christ that you've put me in? What can we do to serve the city? God determined, Acts 17, the exact time and place you should live. You're not here in the end times, which have been the end times of the end times. I don't know when the end times are, but I know that my personal end time rapture may come before that. And I'll stand before, and that's death. I'll stand before God and give an account. And this is what this is. You see, Jesus is speaking to us. He's an eternal God. He's a transcendent God. So he lives in the past and he lives in the future and everything else in between. We have a linear thing of, of time. He transcends time. He can come out of time, go to the end to the beginning. He is eternal. Pre-existent. He knew you before you were born. He chose you before the foundation of the earth, Ephesians 1. He saw you and he chose you. He does not come in a linear calendar. That's why when Jesus says, I'm coming back soon, what is soon to a timeless God? I don't know. But what I do know is when he comes, he's talking to his disciples and he steps out of time and he comes to the end of time and he's talking to them about what it's going to be about. And he says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, remember he had not yet been glorified, he is still going to the cross. And all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne in his heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. I didn't write this. It convicts me. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father, by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared to you since the creation of the world. For when I was hungry, not for the way you preached, or how many services you went to. But when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came 
to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or need clothing of, uh, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, this is the king of kings and the Lord will, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one, the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. That's the hard part. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and angels. When I got saved, everything was about hellfire and brimstone. It was preached all the time. Jesus is coming back tomorrow, you better be saved, you better give your heart to Jesus, because if you, if, you, if you go out the door and you run out by a bus, you're going to turn or burn, you know, all of that kind of stuff. To the point that people have totally disregarded this. To the point where preachers will say, you can get saved after you're dead. This is the king of kings. There's no hell. Well, if this is not hell, it's eternal fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. You call it what you like, it's there. I call it what myself. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. Church. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer the Lord. When did we see you hungry, thirsty or stranger or needing clothes, sick and or in prison? And did not heal prior. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. Sobering words, church. Sobering words. We're the ones with eternal life. You see, Jesus, you'll never, you'll never see Jesus saying, my evangelistic strategy is get a building, play some music, and the lost will come in. No, he said, go into the world. You go and make disciples. You go and then bring them in where they can taught and loved. That's the strategy of God. And, and church... As hard as this is, I feel the conviction of God that we need to start looking at even us as a church. How better we can do in the city. Remember the church is individual, so don't come to me with your ideas. How can we do this, Lord? How can we be a people of unity? How can we represent you well, Lord? Not for us who are saved, but for the ones who need to know you. Lord, how can we look at our lives and make adjustments? And I feel, it feels very tough for me to end like this because you're going to have this amazing meal and I don't want to spoil it. Serious. And I don't come here with any other thing, church, than as the pastor of this church, feeling God-impressed on me, that he wants us, as a people, not to look at other vineyards, not to look at other places, but us to take responsibility 
for what God has called us to do as a people to our neighbors and the nations. And if we could bow our heads and if the worship team could come up, I want to sing that uh, our God is a lion. Because I want to tell you this. How many times did we hear about forgetting that which is behind today? Lots. Lots of times. Because we said, you know, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I must be a goat or, or whatever. No. It's not about that. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. And God is not interested in yesterday. You know, Mark said something interesting. When you walk out this door, it's an experience that you've never had before. Just walking out in the, because it's in the future. When you came this morning, it was an experience you never had before. It's not same old, same old. As we walk into our future, and God is saying, Jesus said, the fields are white. The fields are white. The fields are white. Universities, this downtown, the, the, the rich, the poor, the sick, the needy. The fields are white. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, not for their not for them to come in, but for harvesters to go to them. And the enemy has robbed us by telling us it's hard. I don't know enough of this. I don't know. Jesus brings it down to a cup of water. Maybe in our days, a cup of coffee. Tim Hortons. Whatever it is that we can offer to somebody. A loaf of bread. A coat. And when the person asks, you see, it's, we, it's not our responsibility to save people. Only God saves people. You know that? We sow seed. And we create an atmosphere for the seed to prosper through our good deeds. I can't save. How many of you saved yourself? So stop trying to save everybody else. That's God's job. We pray for them. We create an opposite. And when they ask, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this for me? Because God loves you, bro. Exactly where you are. And don't neglect, some of the loneliest people are the wealthiest people. It's not one or the other. But create an atmosphere. God, what can I use to extend your kingdom? The stuff you give me, Lord, how can I use? The crazy thing is this church, if each one of us in one year brought in one new person, the church would double. Not from, not from transfer growth, and God does bring people in like that. And you just got to think, if we're, say, 300, two, 300, we could be 600, and 600 could be 1,200, and 1,200 could be 2,400. Just at one at a time, one a year. Oh, I don't know how to preach, how the gospel say, listen, I don't really know. You see, people can argue with doctrine, and is God true or is he not? But they cannot argue with a transformed life that is in love with Jesus. 
And Paul told the whole church in Ephesus, come back to your first love. You see, if we love God, this becomes easier. How many of you know that when you were truly in love with God, or when we first got saved, nothing was too difficult? Nothing was too difficult. And you say, listen, I gave you the cup of water, and I've done that for you, whatever that means, but I don't know the answers, but let me come and take you to a man who can help you can teach you some more. And I'll go and learn, and I'll go and learn one another, live another one, love another one. Old age homes. We change spiritual atmospheres one person at a time over our city. That's what happens. The power that is in you is the incomparably great power of God. And the enemy is robbing you of your future by saying you can't do it or it's too hard. I want to say this to you. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God that whether it's a tithe or whatever it is. God's no one's debtor. And sometimes we equate Stuff back by wealth. So I gave my hundred bucks or my tithe, whatever it is, and God didn't bless you, bless me. Well, did you have three meals today? In the top ten percent of the world. Did I have a shower today? Do I live in a country where I can stand up here and not get shot yet or, or, or burnt? We, we relate, we, money is the lowest common denominator. Stuff. Where did it come that the biggest industry in North America is storage units? And then people die with all the stuff they think their kids wanted and they say, nah, chuck it away. But I served 90 years to get that stuff. And I filled this unit with all this stuff. And I wanted you to have it. Well, we don't want it. Don't give me your stuff. Maybe give that to somebody else that needs it. Somebody that will appreciate it. Little things. I'm just getting you to think. No condemnation, please. This is a new day. But little things. I've got five more minutes. All my elders are watching their clock and doing this. We had, this, this changed my life. We had a guy in our church, Bill Olson and his wife, and they went through some tough times. Him and his family came through them and was able to buy their house for the first time ever. So excited. Got their first house in their 40s or whatever. Moves in, loves it. But next door to them was the neighbor from hell. He had two kids. They played basketball. He had complained. Old guy. Complain about it. Everything. Everything was a mission. He found the city and all of this. And he said to me, I wish I'd never bought a home. Because <laughs> I can't even move now. But one day, Bill was coming out of his driveway. And this guy had this big Lumper wasn't a, uh, still in an area where wood stoves and that mainly. And this guy, big pile of wood. 
It was all God training. And he looked at him and he looked at his watch and he said, oh. Parked his car, went and got his axe, strong guy, hardworking man, and just laid into that wood. Bam, bam, bam with this guy there with him. Just said hi and started chopping wood. When that finished, this guy, with tears in his eyes, said, thank you, can I, do you want something to drink? So Bill went into the house, I don't know what he gave him, this old guy. This guy starts pouring out his life. A Second World War vet came back, felt rejected. His wife left him. Everything had gone wrong in his life. Just one thing after another had happened. Lonely, nobody looking out for him. More than likely because he was so bitter and twisted, nobody wanted to. And Bill, with the wrong heart attitude, went and helped him with that wood. And a relationship developed with this old man. For that season, they changed his life. And Bill was telling me this story. Chopping wood. Clearing snow for the elderly. Mowing a lawn. When you do for the least of them, and they start asking you, this guy, by the way, gave his heart to the Lord and is in eternity forevermore because of chopped wood. What do we have in our hands? God said that to Moses. God, I can't do this. I can't do, even with the burning bush and all of that. I'm not, I, I can't, I stutter, I do all of this. I'm going to get killed. Plus, I haven't got anything, Lord God. I'm just a, a nomadic sheep farmer. And he said, what is in your hand? And he said, I've got a stick. He said, Moses, with that stick, you will deliver a nation. We see that before Pharaoh, that stick was used. It opened the Dead Sea. Bam, a stick. Provided water. The Red Sea, not the Dead Sea. A stick. So as we sing this song, I want to sing the song, God of Allah. I pray that you'll forget that which is behind me too. And God, how can I do this? Because when we live for the benefit of others, our issues become smaller and smaller. Amen? And so we're going to sing the song, My God is a Lion. Because this is who we serve. And in these words, he tells us exactly what he did for us. And God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. Please buy lots of burgers for our orphanage. That would be great.